Happy New Year and welcome to 2019 from all of us here at Link Church. We are more than ever committed this year to building life-giving churches that shape culture and influence nations. We are going to be starting off the year strong by launching the Face to the Wind series. We know that this message through our local church platform is going to bring life and transformation to your everyday life. We hope you enjoy this message. Who wants to go to another level in 2019? I believe that this series, if you're listening to it, let it massage into your heart because the invitation from the gospel is to keep moving forward. Romans 8 verse 28 says this, that God will do everything. He, he, will, he will bring everything into our lives and bring it to a close. He, he orchestrates everything, but we forget verse 29. Verse 29 says that so that we would be conformed to his image. In other words, there's an invitation from God for you and I to change. We are being metamorphosized. There's a transformation that's happening in our lives. And so the invitation from God is to say, you know what that vehicle is? You know what it is? It's into faith I go. It's a step of faith. It's trusting him. I love the words of the song that we recorded last week. Ash played so beautifully. And I love these lyrics. It said this. It said, I've never been good at change. If I'm honest, I'm always scared, scared me, but I can't deny the stirring deep inside me. Now I know it's time to stop resisting because I'm not getting any younger. Fear is such a sad way to live a life. So face to the wind. That's the title of this series. I'm jumping out. I'm walking in. Every single thing you want to show me to the ups and downs, the highs and lows, the taking in, the letting go, to tears and laughter, the great unknown, to the open journey, into faith I go. Into faith I go. No one said this would be easy. Anyone who ever did never went through anything painful. But faith is some, not some fragile thing that shatters when we walk through something hard. No, no. So we walk on whatever may come to the ups and downs, to the highs and lows, face to the wind. Here we go. Here we go. And so today, the title of my message is this. If you're taking notes, it's called this, The Surrendered Life. The Surrendered Life. This series is going to be a conversation around the strength of surrender. The strength of surrender. You know what? There's a southern, there's, I think, yeah, I don't know about you, but when you were growing up, I never heard my dad say to me, Look, listen, surrender on the rugby field. You know, never, never. Okay, coming from a DHS boy, that's, that's encouraging. Yeah, so, so never, we never did. And you know what? You never, you, I mean, you remember, you remember Afrikaans, like, furuntu, it's gone furuntu, it's like, sissy's don't cry, and the Zulu language is, hey, siya kubega, so like, and then there's that English, like that upper lip, like we're going to carry on forward. You know, this is, this is, South Africans, listen, South Africans were brown, no matter whether it's overcast, whatever day it is. That, that shows the kind of culture we have here. We have a South African spirit that says, you know what, no matter what comes, we're going to step into it. Amen? Amen. We have that, but the danger is we don't like to surrender. Even the TV remote at your house. No one likes to surrender the TV remote, am I right? And the reality is that God, you see, you see, what if, what if there is a word that's given to us in Scripture? There is a key that is given to us in Scripture that if we take this key, it'll open a door to what we've never realized in our lives. The small key could open up blessing, peace, provision, power, conference like we've never seen. What if that word, and if you made it the pursuit of your life, would it change you forever? What if that word was surrender? You see, because the last time I checked, the gospel is counterintuitive. Jesus said, if you want to have your life, you need to lose it. If you want to be the greatest, be the servant. What if in this world where it looks at surrender and goes, ooh, white flag, 
We, you see, because our association, if we surrender, we're weak. But God says, no, if you surrender, you're strong. What would it look like for you and I to walk in greater levels of surrender? Just recently, I watched a, a film with my, my family. Uh, uh, I had the remote. And so we were watching, um, we, we watched this film. I shared it with our leaders on Tuesday night. We watched this film called Jumanji. Have you, ever, have you ever seen Jumanji? You remember Robin Williams? He recorded it back in I don't know when. But now as a new one's come, it's called Welcome to the Jungle. <laughs> it's a bit like your family. <laughs> Welcome to the Jungle. Anyway, so, okay, I just remember that song. I'm getting excited. But it's got Kevin Hart. It's got Jack Black. Look at Jack Black on the right there. What a machine. And then look at Dwayne the Rock Johnson. We call him J.D. McMillan. You, 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 you. He's beautiful. But look at it. Look at that. They, they're like superheroes. They, you know what they've taken on? This is their avatar status. They, they go into this jungle and they become these avatars. They selected them for themselves. You know, I, th I think like sometimes we, we underplay the privileges that God gives us as Christians in life. We're not these normal people. We are avatars, my friend. The last time I checked Romans 5, it says that we have been accepted, justified, sanctified, filled with His Holy Spirit. I wonder if you and I could live up to the privilege that God's given us. We walk around like a slave, but we're actually a son. We walk around feel like we haven't got no worth in His kingdom, but He says, I love you, I know you, and that's enough. So stand up, put your shoulders back. You're no ordinary person. You're extraordinary in the light of God. When He sees you, He doesn't see a, mm, He sees an avatar. He sees someone with special gifts and courage and power and confidence to live this life. He doesn't see you to push back in society, be this little church that hangs around and goes like every now and then, Kumbaya, Lord. No, the church is, in Ephesians 1 is an invitation that we wouldn't be these proud and arrogant people, but we would be selfless and through love we would serve our communities. We'd be innovative, come up with new ideas. You know why? Because the last time I checked, the church wasn't powerless, it was powerful. You know why? Because God's put His Spirit inside of you. In the book of Acts, the Spirit is recorded 59 times. 59 times it's speaking. There is someone here today that we might not see, but is more powerful than every single one of us. His name is the Holy Spirit. Went into our house, I'll get back to Jumanji just now, went to my house, we moved in, a, in December, and for the first two weeks we had no Wi-Fi connection. Now for us as elder, born in the 70s, wasn't too bad, a bit quiet, but for the children it was like, Dad, no YouTube, no DSTV, where's the Netflix, Dad? And there was the TV, just black. When I sit on the ornament, it's just black, nothing in there. Just watch it. Look at the TV. How's the remote now, boys? So, so, so anyway, so two weeks goes, and then we, we, a company came in. They found a mast 200 meters from us. We got line of sight, and then we got access to everything you've never seen before. DFS, live TV, everything just came alive. And I thought to myself, you know what? We have someone here today that doesn't just give us access to DSTV. He gives us access to the riches and treasures of heaven. We have someone here today that doesn't just look around and give us a clearer image. He gives us wisdom, confidence, power, and everything. You and I have access to the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you open your heart and get a deposit from heaven? Because the last time I checked, God says he's a good, we are his workmanship. You know what that tells me? God produces a good work. Husbands, you can tap your wife and say, you, you're a good work. <laughs> Husband loving that. But I want to I I tell you, that's what it is. And here's, here's the thing, going back to Jumanji, what I loved about the story, these avatars they go into, they get sucked into the video game. And here's the deal. When they go in, each of them are given three lives. They've got these three marks on their arms. And every time they lose a life, they, one left. They got, and they find this guy that's been in the game for 20 years. And when they find him, they say to him, listen, my friend, 
Why didn't you go to the next level? Because you know, like a good video game, you're always going to the next level. You know, when you drive, okay, next level, let's go. Next level. And, and so he said, why didn't you go to the next level? He said, no, but I only had one life left. So one of them replied to them, but that's true in life. We all got one life, but we have many more levels to go. And he has the invitation of this series, Face to the Wind, that yes, we have one life, but what it would look like for us to go to a greater level of love, a greater level of peace, a greater level of his provision, a greater level of his influence, a greater level of us. The invitation of the gospel is not to stay where you are. By his grace, we don't stay where you are. He changes us from the inside out. One life, many levels, many levels. Over this couple of weeks, Lord, please take us to another level because I don't know why you, I don't wanna get frustrated and hang around where I was because God has greater things for us. You believe that? Believe that this morning? So I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna give you a framework for what the surrendered life looks like. It's, it's a framework, and I believe there's three ideas, three points I'll point to, but I'm gonna look at two men in Scripture, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. And then we're gonna, I've got three questions in the end. We're gonna land it on Jesus, and we're gonna go out there, and we're gonna live the surrendered life. Amen? Amen. So I'm gonna go to the first one. His name is the rich young ruler, He's recorded in Mark chapter 10. I'm going to read from the, the, the message version. And um, before I do, I get there. Jesus is talking to people. The crowds are following him. And uh, he's, 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 as he's talking, as he leads up to Mark 10, he's speaking about following him, following him. How many people know that, that Jesus doesn't want us just to be a fan? He wants us to be a follower. You know, when Jesus, you know, there's a difference between a fan and a follower. I love, you know, in the Old Testament, we've got Joshua. He's like the Chuck Norris of the Old Testament. You know, wherever he goes, he's just, shoo, 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 shoo. So Joshua, he's about to take out Jericho, and he walks up, and he sees this big guy walking towards him. And Joshua goes like, ew, I'm going to put you down. He says to him, hey, are you for me or against me? Who do you think you are approaching me? And the, this man stands, but this man is actually Jesus. And you know what he says? I am the commander of the Lord's army. I've come to take over. I'm not on anyone's side. Let, let me tell you, friends, God is not on your side, my side, his side. No, it's about his story and his glory. And when he invites you and he doesn't invite, you, a spectator is a fan, a participator is a follower. Jesus says, come follow me. It's not because he wants to make it hard for us. It's because he knows the best for us. The invitation of a surrendered life is not to remain a fan. It's to step into following him. I think sometimes one day we're going to get to St. Peter's Gate there. We're like, hey, Peter, how's it going? And, then you're like, and Peter's going to like, oh, why should I let you in? You're going to turn back to your Fenta trailer. Jesus, please get out the back there. Why don't you just come and give a word from me? Sometimes we want to put him in the back there, but actually Jesus says, I'm not your co-pilot. I'm standing in front of you. Will you follow me because I know the best over your life? He wants to give us wisdom. He says, please come and follow me. He has a rich young ruler that comes to Jesus. And I think sometimes in our life, the rich young Eula is often us. He's, he's not old and rich, he's young and rich. And that's dangerous territory. Sometimes we are fully confident that we got this life worked out. And it's not a bad thing, not, but I think there's a reality to us coming to Jesus. And I wanna read it to you and then I'm gonna make some points around surrender. You ready to go? Let's read together. Verse 17, he says, as he went out into the street, a man came running up, greeted him with great reverence and asked, good teacher, what must I do, say I do, to get eternal life? Jesus said to him, why are you calling me good? No one is good, only God. You know the commandments, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat, honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, teacher, 
I have from my youth. I've kept them all. I've been good. Not only am I rich and young, but I've followed the commandments. I've been, I've, I, my performance level is 10 out of 10. Verse 21, Jesus looked him hard in the eye. That is an implication that he looked him in the heart. And he loved him. Say loved him. And then he said, there's one thing left. Go sell whatever you own and give it to the poor. All your wealth will then be heavenly wealth. And come follow me. I don't want you to be a fan. Come follow me. Verse 22, the man's face clouded over. This was the last thing he expected to hear. And he walked off with a heavy heart. And this is what I want to take a note of. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let go. He was holding on tight to a lot of things. Could it be that there are some things in our life that we are holding on to that God wants to remind of us in this series that stop us from walking with Him into our future? Could it be, you see, could it be that there's some things that we're dearly holding on to that are actually it's holding us back from walking to with God, or walking with God. The point number one, if you're writing notes, and this is from the story, number one is this, there's a problem, the problem with surrender. The problem with surrender, and here's the problem. If you hold on tight, it's not gonna go right. Nice and simple. If you hold on tight, it's not gonna end up right. You see this man, he left with it clouded over. He left with a sense of a heavy heart because he got given an answer he didn't expect. Jesus realized one important thing in this man's life. He had all the possessions. He was a rich young ruler. He was clever. He was competent. He had morality. He was zealous. He was passionate. He went to the right source. But Jesus realized that what he had and what he held on to had replaced him in his heart. And how many know that Jesus is after our hearts? You see, here's the deal for you and I as we live this life. We can focus on that career. We can focus on our family. We can focus on all these things and we can run with everything we can towards them. You know what it's gonna do? It's gonna bring you enjoyment. But then what happens when the children leave home? What happens when you get the phone call to say someone's had an accident? What happens when you think? What happens when we place our faith in something that is temporary? What Jesus is saying, you rich young ruler, I know you've got everything, but I wanna tell you what you need to place your faith in is the one that does not move. The one that is immovable, who's the rock of ages, who said that it, that would happen and it will, who is full of promises, who is steadfast, who never, never moves. Put your faith in something that does not move. And I look at this man and I see a sadness over his life. And I thought to myself, why is that? And I think we have to look and see what this man did. You see, I think he came to Jesus. And I love what he says. You know what he says? What do I, what do I need to do to get eternal life? Therein lies the problem. There's this brand of Christianity. Two brands, actually. One brand that we've lived up or grown up with, and it's out there. That's, that is all about what you need to do to get to God. It's about how you need to perform to get to God. But then there's another brand of Christianity that believes in the goodness and the grace of God. That it's never about what you need to do. It's about what He's already done for you. And when you have that perspective, it changes everything. There's nothing more disheartening than someone that carries the weight on their shoulders and is a double-minded man like in James. He's not sure whether God loves me. Does he? I had a bad week. Do you think he's gonna be okay? I don't know whether I'm carrying this burden that I, and I don't, and I don't know, and I'm not quite, you know what we're doing? We're walking with eggshells, not sure what God's gonna do to us. 
Is he going to give me a hiding? Is he going to set me back? Is he, and we're not quite sure how to approach him. I wonder if today the problem with surrender, not giving our lives to him or fully trusting him, is that we've got a different perspective of who God is. We're not quite sure what day he's going to wake up in. I remember when I was younger, we used to ride horses. And we had this horse. This horse's name was Oppenheimer. Not from Harry Oppenheimer, but just Oppenheimer. He came there like Oppenheimer. He was 12 years old, a gelding, dark bay, beautiful. Oppenheimer had a change, a split personality. In the stable, he wasn't a good Oppenheimer. You do this with his head, if you, if you fed him his food, you ran away. You didn't stay in the stable. When you got on his back and you rode him, magic. He was like a Mercedes Benz. He had every gear. And it was beautiful. But once, one morning, I'll never forget it in May, early May, I was in matric. We went down and I had a guy that helped me with the horses. His name was Bonga. And we went down there and I walked into Oppenheimer's stable. I had a thick jacket on. It was a cold morning. I was about to exercise him. I put the bridle on and Bonga put the saddle on. And then he tightened the girth. And when he tightened the girth, Oppenheimer turned around and grabbed me on the nipple here, pulled me up into the air, shook me around a bit, and then dropped me down. I'm still trying to recover. Thank God for the thick jacket. That thing. I lay down the floor. I think I lay there for 20 minutes. You know when you go white, you start sweating. I think Bongo was more, we released Oppenheimer. But here's, the, here's what I'm trying to say. Sometimes when we come to God, we're not quite sure what we're going to get. Because we've been told that this is a God that just wants to take something from us. This is a God that just wants to take, uh, condemn us. This is a God that wants to judge us. But look what Jesus did to this man. When he looked on him, he loved him. I want to tell you, we, sometimes in the world we think when God looks at us, he goes like, ooh, hata matata. <laughs> or he looks at us, he goes, oh. When God looks at us, he just condemns us. When God looks at us, he's disappointed. Have you ever felt that? Oh, I just couldn't keep. You know what you're doing? You're living out of the place where you need to perform, but God says, I've already done it for you. I love you. What had, had, what had that man done to Jesus? Absolutely nothing, but he looked at him and he loved him. When you realize that God loves you, it changes everything. I love Psalm 94. It says this, when I was slipping, when I was fearing, when I was about to step off the edge, it says that God took a hold of me and held me fast. He not only calmed me down, but he cheered me up. Isn't that beautiful? He held you fast. You don't have to hold him fast. He holds on to you. That's the promise of the gospel. He will never let you down. We can't do it in our own strength, but he has done it for us. You know what I noticed about this other man? I think it's so true for us. The other day I went to Checkers, bought some groceries, and I uh, had a basket full, and I put it on the checker's counter, and then you put it there, and the, and the lady is having the teller helps you. You know, she goes like, and she puts it through the, the, the thing. Doot, 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 And then when she looks like something is debatable, why are you buying that? She looks at you, doot, 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 doot. And then you get that one where it doesn't doot. It's like. And then she looks at you like it's your fault. Like, why do you get that tin of tuna? And then, and, and, then, and then she does this, and I love it. She does this, like. And, and, then, and then eventually, dude, and then she smiles. and goes, mm-hmm, dude, dude. But, but, but here's what I want to say. Here's what I want to say with our walk with God. Here's what I want to say. I think sometimes we base our life on transactional faith. Like, dude, 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 pray, dude, worship, dude, church, dude, dude, dude. And then when we go the when the trial happens or the tough times happens, we think, what do I need to do to remedy it? Oh God, I'm not praying enough. Oh Lord. And we walk around with this thing we were never born to carry. You see, God, you know what limits us? It's not our mistakes, it's our fear. It's not, God's not concerned about your mistakes. He's seen it before. 
There are many people messed up in the Bible. He's seen that before. Listen, don't stop worrying about your mistakes. Start worrying about how you need to step out for God because rid the fear and trust Him. I think sometimes we put the, we just want a transactional faith. God wants a transformative faith. We haven't called to endure our relationship with God. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. You know what that does? A transactional faith always lives in the future. What I'm gonna get out of God, oh God, I'm a genie, just rub you, make it happen for me. A transformative faith says I'm gonna enjoy every day in his presence. Come up or down wherever I go, bad times, good times, God is with me and if he's with me, that's enough. If he's with me, that's enough. You see, the invitation of the gospel is this. John Newton who wrote the song Amazing Grace, he said this. You know what surrender is? Surrender is when you close your eyes and hold his hand. Close your eyes. You know what that tells me? That tells me we don't need to necessarily see where we're going. We just to know who is with us. And if God is with you, you can trust him for the outcome. If God is with you, he will take you forward. If God is with you, he'll stand next to you. That means that I needn't worry about what I need to see. I'm just gonna hold his hand in faith. Amen? Jesus looked on him and loved him. But you know what happened? His response, he got an unexpected answer. And maybe over this series, you're gonna get an unexpected answer. Because you know what we do? I don't know about you, but we come to God on our terms. Like, God, this is what I think. This is my problem, but now this is how I think you should solve it. Don't we do that? Like, hey, God, this, but no, no, no. And then, and then we get an answer we don't expect. Jesus, I wanna tell you, when he does that, he always gives you what you need, not necessarily what you want. He gives you what is right for your life. I wanna encourage you in this series, we talk about surrender, listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying because he wants to lead you into blessing, peace, power, provision, knowing that God is with you no matter what comes your way. The problem of surrender, if you hold on tight, it's not gonna work out right. Let go, that's surrender. You know why we should let go? Because he looked on him and he loved him. Amen? Awesome, the second one, so there's the problem of surrender. The second one is the purpose of surrender. The purpose of surrender. And here's the thing, and I wanna go to the Old Testament. It's a story about Abraham. Who knows Abraham? Abraham, his name was Abram, and then God put an H in him. It was almost like that word H for Hebrew is the breath. He went, you're no longer called Abraham, you're gonna call Abraham. You know, when God touch, takes a touch of our lives, he puts the breath of God into us and he changes our name. I love, the God, I love the fact that God can change people's names. He was once Simon, but then he became Peter. You know, that is, he, God sees something so powerful in you. You're not, you're not where you were last year. You're not where you were when you grew up. You aren't you that person that your parents told you necessarily you are. No, no, you are in God's sight, a new name. The Bible says that in Christ, we are new creations. God has given, and Abraham was a man that God chose to trust and choose to walk with. He journeyed with God. In fact, one of the associations with Abraham is he was a friend of God. Can you imagine being called the friend of God? This was Abraham. He's the father of faith. He's the one that God chose. He was an adulterer. God took him out and said, would you go? And it says that Abraham believed. Now, when I look at Abraham's life, I realize he made some mistakes, big mistakes. He lied about his wife. That's not helpful. Am I right? 
Husbands, that's not helpful. He lied about that. He, 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 God made him a promise. He said, Abraham, you're going to get a son. It went 10 years. It went 20 years. And he was like, hey, God, I don't know. I want to take control here. I want to sort. And so his wife said, no, it'd be good for you to sleep with a maidservant. And they had another child. And that son was called Ishmael. Ishmael became the father of the Palestinians. And from the Palestinians came Muhammad. And from Muhammad became the Muslims. And then he had another son, Isaac, we'll talk about now. And Isaac was the firstborn. And Isaac became the father of the Jewish nation from which came Jesus. Today in Israel, there's this conflict going on between the, the Palestinians and the Jewish people. You know why? Because one man held on tight. It didn't end up right. Abraham thought, I'll take control over this. I'll take control of my outcome. There are consequences of our lives when we don't walk in surrender, but walk in control. The purpose of surrender, here's what I want to say. When God came to Abraham, he said, Abraham, I've got another test for you. And I thought to myself, why is it that Abraham keeps on testing God? Why is it, you see, God never comes to tempt us. He comes to test us. Why does he test us? Because he wants to increase our strength. You won't have a test me if you don't go through a test. And the Bible says in Revelation, they overcome by the word of their testimony. In other words, there's great power in you going through some tests. You know why? Because it's going to activate faith in other people, but also it's going to build something strong in you. I thought to myself, why did Abraham not just, why did God not just give Abraham the, the son right away? Here's Isaac. Awesome. And there's the promised land. Woo. One year, you're in. Done. Why didn't he do that? Why did he take him on 40 years of ups and downs, highs and lows? It's the story of this, of this series, up and down, all around. This is what life is, real life for you and I. There's no perfect, we all go through this. Why does God do this with you and I? Because I realize one important principle and truth, that there is a purpose to a surrendered life, and the purpose to a surrendered life is this important principle. God doesn't just primarily want to take you somewhere. God wants to make you someone. He wanted to make Abraham someone. He wants to do something in you before he does something through you. He wants to build something so powerful on the inside that no matter what comes, circumstance stands around you, you stand sure and confident. God will test you. You know why? Because he loves you and he knows you and he wants the best out of you and he wants to, you to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Conformed to his son. He doesn't want to take you somewhere. He wants to make you someone. I, I want to I uh, read this quickly. It's the story of Abraham. And uh, Abraham, he had Ishmael. And then years later, God gave 100 years old. He had Isaac. Isaac means laughter. You know why? Because Abraham and Sarah at 100 years old used to buy nappies. Can you imagine being 100 years old and buying nappies? I mean, everyone laughing at you. I mean, like, oh my gosh, he's 100 years old. He thought he was done and dusted. In fact, when God said you will, Sarah, she laughed. She's like, oh. No, not you, but how many know that nothing is impossible with God? You might be in a situation right now that seems like it's been five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. I want to tell you, you might think it's futile, but never with God. God can change a moment in a moment if you'd allow him to. If you surrender to him, you might think that this is it. This is fatal. It never happened again. My marriage can't be rescued. My business can't be rescued. I'm telling you, when you surrender your life, watch what God can do. Nothing is impossible with him. And Abraham, so, so I'm getting a long way to get to the scripture, but it's coming. And so Abraham, so Abraham, Abraham gets tested, doesn't get tempted. And God comes to him, and I want to read this for you. We'll go through it quite quickly. I've got some points, observations at the back. Genesis 22 says, after these things, what is that? After the birth of Isaac, he's now 15 years old. God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Here I am. You know what that is? That's a statement of surrender. In the Hebrew language, here I am wasn't, hey, how's it, God? How are you doing? It was, no, God, I'm ready for your command. 
I'm ready to go again. It's a statement of surrender. You know what Abraham did? Abraham trusted God. I mean, if that had been me, I would have gone like, hey, God, I'm not here. <laughs> I, mean, I, I was like, God, are you sure it's me? You know, like, are you talking to me, God? You ever felt like God talks to you and you go like, woo, not me, matrix, like that. You just move like that. You're like, I can't hear it. I got, you, know, you, you know, there's a danger in our lives, friends. Today, you can be here in church. You can be really inspired. You can get inspired. You're like, woo, goosebumps. And then you walk out and you do nothing. There's a difference between hearing and listening. You see, to hear is to hear something but not act on it. To listen is to hear it and then do it. And Jesus said, those who love me will do what I say. When you walk out, do it. Because therein lies God's favor and blessing. Abraham come, God comes to Abraham, Abraham, and he says, here I am. He's trusting him. And then we keep reading. And he says this, he says, and so God said, take your son. Now scholars tell us that the language here suddenly started to slow down dramatically. There was something about to be said that would cause his attention. And he said, your only son, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering as one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. What God is saying here seems unbelievable. He has a son he'd been waiting for for years and years and years. They're here to his promise. The reason Abraham, I think, lived so long was because of his son. He's 15 years old. He must have like, he's taken insurance policies out on his son. He's done everything for his son. He's like, my son, my son, the one I waited for for 40 years, God. But now you're telling me I need to go and put him as a burnt offering? You mean, God, you, I, don't, I don't explain it. How does that work? God's teaching us a lesson. Sometimes we take things, Isaac's in our life, and we place it above him. And God's gonna test us and say, hey, I want the centerpiece in your heart because it's best for you. Because when I'm in the middle of your heart and I'm there with you, it doesn't matter what's around you too, I will bless it. So, so God tests Abraham and off he goes. And it says this, it says, so Abraham rose early in the morning and he saddled his donkey. Oof, I love this. He rose early in the morning. You know why? Because I think he couldn't sleep because he didn't tell Sarah. <laughs> it's like, it's just a side note, you know? Like, shush, if I tell Sarah. Can you imagine you told his wife, woo, there would have, Abraham wouldn't have slept nothing. So he rose up early in the morning. He's like, I'm gonna leave as quick as I can. He saddled his donkey. You know what obedience is? To act in the moment. I want to tell you in the Bible, the promptings of the Holy Spirit come. Will you act to them when he comes? When he says, pray for that person, encourage that person, speak to that person. You, you don't know what lies on the back end of your quick obedience. Stephen, a man in Acts 8, I'll share with our leaders, he changed the world. You know why? Because he's a man, one man, ordinary man. No one knows pedigree, nothing. Stephen, one man, God spoke to him and said, Stephen, serve the tables. He said, I did. Share my gospel. He said, I did. He, he preached the great, longest message in the book of Acts. They end up stoning him. When he stones him, he sees Jesus and they take him. He says, on that day that Stephen was stoned, you know what happened? The church spread like wildfire from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. Stephen did more than all the apostles in the, in, in the whole of Acts 8. More than anything the apostles. The apostles want to hang around Jerusalem. One man, prompting of the Holy Spirit and the church changed the world forever. Abraham rose up early, saddled his donkey and off he went. And it says this, and he says, as he, as he wrote, he said, he saddled dog, and he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, say third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the, the place from afar. I love the fact that it, you, you see, sometimes I love that three days. 
I think sometimes our faith is, rises quite quickly on initial response. First day. First day, woo, kumbaya, Lord, you, I'm feeling good. By the second day, you're like, ooh. But true faith lasts through the third day. God has called us to an enduring faith, to keep walking no matter what. I want to tell you, we're in this culture where, hey, if it doesn't feel good, it's not good. If it doesn't work out, it's not. No, I want to tell you, true faith, three days. True faith. Not first year, I'm kumbaya. Third year, I'm still going because God is for me and I love him, I know him. On the third day, he kept on moving. He understood what it was to follow Christ because of this God that had changed his life. On the third day. It's interesting, in Matthew 21, there's a lovely story of a father with two sons. Jesus is talking to believers like you and I. And he says to them, there's a parable with two sons, a father, two sons. He says to the first son, son, Get up in the morning, go and work in the fields. The first son said no, his reply. The next line was the father buried the son. I'm only joking. But that's what happened to us. He, he said no. And, then, and, 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 and the first son, but this is what they said. The first son said no, but then he later changed his mind and he went to do it. Then Jesus said, there's a second son. He went to the second son and he said, son, will you go and work in the field? And the son said, yes, I will. But he never went to work in the field. And then Jesus asked them, who do you think out of the two sons obeyed the father? And they said, the first son. You know why this is so powerful? Because true righteousness does not lie in what we say, it lies in what we do. It lies in what we do. That man did what God asked him to do. Abraham, get up on your donkey, ride into town. For three days, I'm gonna keep going. And look at this. This is so powerful. I love this text. And he says, Abraham took the word, wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac and son, and he took his hand of the fire and the knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Good question, Isaac. And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. You know what I love about Abraham? It tells us what he was doing for three days. You know what he was doing? He was reminding himself of this God that had provided for him in the past, and so he'll provide for him for the future. I want to tell you, when you're going through life and going through difficult times, the thing that's going to get you through is not the strength of your character and your ability to say that I can do it. No, it has everything to do with a sure conviction in your heart on the goodness and grace of God, that there is a God that will provide for you. When you are fully convinced that God is for you and loves you, when you know what he's done for you, and so you look forward to it, that, that my friends, is true faith so often what we do is we look behind and go like oh look what he didn't do but I wonder in that moment for three days Abraham said I believe God will provide he'll provide for me and my son the strength of surrender does not lie in the fact that you need to do it it lies in the fact that God is fully committed to us and that it is his faith and not ours the purpose of surrender and then he says God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering. And then it goes on to say this, and he says, when, verse 10, he says, when they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built this altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And I love the fact here that here's Isaac, he's a son. You know, if he's 15 years old, he's pretty strong. So he's carried the wood for three days. I'm sure he could have wrestled Abraham off. You know, I'm sure he could have said, no, 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 I'm not getting on the altar. But what, what's fascinating about this Isaac is the same faith that Abraham was in, infused into his son Isaac. This is what it tells me. Faith is not taught, it's caught. He saw it in his father. And so Isaac said, I'm going to get up on the offering and I'm going to trust God with this. 
And then it says this. It says, and so Abraham, angel, so Abraham then reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, go, do not lay your hand on the, on the boy or do anything for him. For I know now that you, you fear God. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behold was a ram caught in the thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And as it is said in this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. To this day in Israel, that place is called the Lord will provide. Here's an important principle in our lives. When we understand the power, that's my third point, the power of surrender is this. The power of surrender is at the place of your deepest surrender will be the place of God's highest provision, greatest provision. At the place where Isaac was prepared to, Abram was prepared to lay down his son, God was prepared to provide for him like never before. You know why? Because there was a ram in the thicket. I, I believe when Abraham turned around to look at that, that, that ram, what he saw was a prophetic picture of what Jesus would do a thousand years later. The Bible tells us that the ram was caught by its horns. In other words, its body was unblemished. If you had to look at it through the lens of Abraham's eyes that day, as he saw his son, took it off and saw the ram, I think he saw Jesus with the thorns around him. A thousand years later, Jesus walked up that same mountain. He crawled up onto the wood. He opened up his hands and the knife went through him. God didn't provide another escape. He didn't provide a ram. The one and only son that God had. Abraham had one son. The one and only son went up the cross for you and I. This reminds us again today. The story of the gospel has never been about what we need to do. It's what Christ has done for us. This reminds me today that God is not just taking us somewhere. He's building something so powerful in us. And it's a firm conviction in the goodness, the grace, and the love of God on Calvary. You see, on Calvary was the deepest surrender. It was the lowest surrender. It was where God surrendered His own Son. But it was on Calvary that you and I walked into a life we'd never dream of. We've been forgiven before the cross. We've been washed free because of the cross. We've been set, uh, set free because of the cross. We've been given a new life because of the cross. You know why? Because He did it for you and I. I want to close a couple of questions before we close. I think they're going to be helpful. I'm going to write them down if you're taking notes. Because here's the deal in our lives. As we choose this life of surrender, what do we surrender? What don't we? If I look at the story of this young man, here was a man that, that was um, trying to control the outcome of his life. Abraham tried to control the outcome of his life. What does it look like to walk with surrender over control? The first question is this. Is it worth my concern? Is it worth my concern? I think sometimes in life we're trying to control every outcome. We're trying to control our children. We're like helicopter parents. You know, like if he, does, if he doesn't get the assignment right, we'll do it for him. If he doesn't forget something at school, we're going to get it for him. We're doing everything. And we also helicopter over our, our employees and we're micromanaging everything we're trying to do. You know why? Because we can't trust God. We want, we want the outcome. We want control. What is it, what is it worth to you? What, what is it? What is the, the question is, how, what, what do I need to take control of? What, don't, what, don't, what do you need to put aside? Because we're trying to fight anyone else's battle. Is it worth my concern? I think one day in heaven, God's not, we're not going to look back and go like, jeez, I should have folded my t-shirts that way. 
You know, I should have, I should have made sure that that was done this way. I should have made that should have done that way. I think if, if, it's, if it has to do with the eternal purposes of God, then, then stand over those things and value them. But I think sometimes we're so perturbed about these little things that actually are not worth our control. The second question is, what is mine to manage? What is mine to manage? You see, I think sometimes when we talk about surrender, people walk out of here and go like, oh, no, hey, thank you, Jesus. I surrender. I surrender my business, surrender everything. No, you've been given a business. Don't relinquish responsibility. Take care of what God's given you. That's the word of stewardship. You steward that which he's given you. You steward your family. You steward that. That's what it is. What is yours to manage? And manage that well. The last question is this. What's worth my concern? What's mine to manage? The last question, what is God's to control? Because I think sometimes in our life, we try and do God's work. But I want to tell you, only God can save a person's life. Only God can heal someone. Only God can provide the protection for your children in your absence. Only God knows what's in tomorrow. Only God knows what's in the next five years. Not Google, God. God knows. God knows what's in. He, what is God's control? Then give it to God. Because when we surrender over control, we give it to God. You know what the Bible says? The peace of God that passes all understanding fills your heart. I want to close with this today. It's the story. And Jesus, if I look at Jesus, he was a man who was surrendered to God, fully surrendered to him. And he said this, you know, when the, he, he's, he's baptized, he goes into the desert. It says the spirit sent him into the desert. He's 40 days. He hasn't eaten for 40 days. The devil comes to him. And the devil says to him, hey, if you turn these stones into bread, you can eat, Jesus. And Jesus had a choice to make. Either he would say, yeah, give me the food, and he, and he could have eaten it. Or he had a choice to make to surrender to God and say, you know what? I'm going to surrender to God. I'm going to trust him to look after me. He chose to surrender. Then the devil said, look at the kingdom of this world. I'll give you all the wealth in the world. I'll give you everything because I'm the prince of the world. I'll give you the wealth. What are you going to do, Jesus? Jesus chose. He could have chosen control. Give me the wealth. He said, no. He said, I'm going to choose to trust my father because I choose to trust and surrender to him because one day he'll give me the world. And then he said to him, look, get up on the mountain, mountain uh, temple and I'll throw you off. When you throw you off, the angels will collect you. And you know what? You can become the Messiah today. Jesus had a choice to make. He said, no, 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 no. I'm going to trust my father with my life because one day if he's willing, I'll become the Messiah, but not now. I'm going to surrender to my Father. Jesus surrendered his life to God, and he made the way for you and I to find peace. How much more, when you surrender to God, will peace begin to flow in your life? Will your life with confidence and a power that you've never experienced before? Because you've chosen the way that Jesus chose. The simple key to open a big door, the simple key to face the wind in our lives, to the ups and downs, is to say, God, today I surrender before you. I want to read the scriptures from Proverbs 3, verse 5. And this is written by Solomon. And he said this, Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. You know what trusting is? It's surrendering. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Run to God. Don't you love the language of surrender? Run to God. Run from evil. Your body will glow with health. Your very bones will vibrate with life. You want your body to 
glow. You want to vibrate with life. It's the Zoe life that's given us from God. The invitation is to surrender. Won't you stand with me? We're going to close.